Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for being here and joining in for this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Hope everyone is doing well and glad that you could join us today on Causes or Cures. So some of you who regularly listen to Causes or Cures know that I've been bringing on different experts and researchers to discuss industry's influence on health and health policy. This podcast will also explore elements of industry's influence, and today we will focus on the UK. So if you look back through some of my older episodes, you'll see that I've been trying to tackle this issue from a global perspective. So not just the US, where I'm based, but other countries too, Australia, Canada, the UK today, and I hope to get a bunch of different countries on here. My guest today is Emily Ricard, who is a researcher and a doctoral student with the Department of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Bath in the UK. She recently co-authored a paper that I read titled, A Hidden Web of Policy Influence, the Pharmaceutical Industry's Engagement with UK's all-party parliamentary groups. In this podcast, she'll explain what an all-party parliamentary group is, particularly the health-related ones, and she'll talk about the different ways industry influences those groups, both direct and indirect ways. And she'll talk about why this matters, from both a transparency issue and a policy issue. And she will also discuss some of the current research she's working on that is also related to this topic of industry's influence on health and health policy. All right, so give me a couple seconds here, guys, while we connect to Emily. All right, guys, on the line, we have Emily Ricard, who is in the UK. What part of the UK, Emily? Um, I'm in Wiltshire in the UK. Okay, it's all right. Near Bath. Or you could say Bath, because that's where the university is. Okay, that's <laughs> Bath. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we're going to talk about a paper that you authored. Um, but first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in industry's web of influence on health and healthcare policy? Sure. So, yeah, as you say, my name's Emily, and um, I'm currently an ESRC funded PhD student at the Department of Social and Policy Science here in Bath um, in the UK. Um, but prior to starting my PhD, I completed an undergrad degree in sociology at Bath, where it's where my interest in sort of all things medical sociology stemmed from. And then um, I pursued this in a master's in social policy at the university, where I met Piotr, who's my colleague and supervisor for my PhD. And we did a project then on the transparency of pharmaceutical industry, disclosures of payments to patient organizations in the UK, um, which was really interesting and really got me really hyped for researching this area a lot more, which is why I applied to do the PhD. Um, we've continued to work on a number of projects looking at the industry's web of influence, as we like to call it, because they've got these numerous ties to so many different healthcare stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that term. I took that from your paper. I'm like, web of influence. I'm using Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And it sort of conjures up this image of like a a spider's web kind of thing with 
so many different stakeholders in it and organizations such as uh, hospitals, professional associations, patient organizations, and all party parliamentary groups, you know, that all receive such large scale, often large scale funding from industry, from industry marketing budgets, which there's clearly something in it for them. So that's yeah. what we're trying to explore. All right. So this paper you wrote was published uh, in June of 2021, if I'm correct. Correct. <laughs> and um, it's titled for our listeners, A Hidden Web of Policy Influence, the Pharmaceutical Industry's Engagement with UK's All-Party Parliamentary Groups between, and, and this was, uh, you collected data from, well, from the years 2012 and 2018. But but, but before we jump into that, um, since I'm here in the, in the US and we don't know about these things <laughs> so mm, much, definitely. but we have, we have similar issues with industry's influence for sure. But can you tell us what uh, an APPG is and how it might influence health policy in the UK? Yeah, so APPG, AP, it's, it's a confusing term. I sometimes struggle to say it, APPG. Um, they're described as sort of clusters of parliamentarians, like um, members of, the, of parliament and members of the House of Lords, which are interested in a particular topic. Um, they're independent, so they're not actually official parliamentary organisations, but they are situated within parliament. You know, they have their offices in parliament and therefore we see them as sort of being at the heart of government policy decision making. Um, and their function can be to draw Parliament's attention to overlooked issues. Uh, for example, the APPG for cancer, they describe themselves as playing an active role in and outside of Parliament, raising issues and lobbying on areas that affect cancer policy. So um, they definitely have influence, but it's not always clear how this influence sort of plays out. <laughs> Okay, all right, right. So, uh, and that's kind of what you guys were going to look into. Um, how yeah. does this, how does this influence play out? So, can you briefly describe how you obtained the data to answer your research question, and basically just a, a brief overview of, I guess, the methods section of your paper? Yeah. So, there are hundreds of APPGs. You know, that the topics are really can be quite obscure. Like, there's jazz music, sport, the media, beer, all sorts of things. So um, we, like the first thing we had to do was identify all health related APPGs because it wasn't really feasible to look at all APPGs because that was going to take far too long. So we identified the APPGs with a health focus from the list of 888 registered um, groups. So we, we cast quite a wide net, so to speak. So that we didn't miss any potentially relevant APPGs such as like the nutrition one or the mental well-being one and we found there were 146 that related to health in some way or another um, so after finding these APPGs we then extracted all payments reported on the APPG register which is on parliament's website and each APPG has to fill in a template every six weeks outlining any payments they've received from external organizations and some don't receive any and some receive a lot so um, we captured to capture all payments we manually extracted the, the data from 
every single register entry and there were a lot because that it's updated every six weeks and since 2012 that not quite sure how many that relate equates to but it's a lot um, and we entered them all into an excel template which we produced based on the register register template um, but a big part of the methods was checking cleaning and coding the data so we double checked of course all the data to make sure it was all correct and as and accurate and then cleaned it so which involved correcting typos because uh -huh. the APBG contained a lot of typos and standardizing names so that no organization was counted twice in our analysis and then then obviously a key part was to identify the pharmaceutical companies and the patient organizations so of 300 donors we conducted web searches on each one and connected them to an industry to code them so to make make a bit more sense of the data um okay. all right yeah. all right <laughs> That was, um, that was a great explanation. Um, so you describe a typology of relationships detailing the major ways pharmaceutical companies influence parliament using APPGs. So I was wondering if we could talk about each of those three relationships outlined in, in your paper, uh, starting with conflicts of interest through direct payments. Yeah, so the uh, yeah, we made this typology because we thought it was all quite confusing how all the data was set out on the register. And we wanted to try and portray it in a way that makes sense and shows how there's different layers of ways that industry can be involved. So um, the direct payments capture both financial and in-kind, so benefits in-kind contributions, um, which were provided by the pharmaceutical company so there was no third party involved directly from the company to the APPG and in total industry made 129 of these worth 860,000 pounds which I calculated is 1.1 million US dollars approximately for your US oh. listeners <laughs> that was nice of you thank you <laughs> a bit of context there. trying to be mindful um and these went to 10 APPGs it's difficult to uh, really determine what these payments are for because when payments are direct and they're financial as they call it in the register you don't have they don't have to uh, provide a description so mm. we have no idea what those are for but for the in-kind payments we know that most of them covered a membership fee which still is quite vague because what this might involve it's up to us to decide what that what that is but it, it probably gives industry some sort of a voice and representation in the APBG discussions, but mm -hmm. what, what level that is, we're not sure. Hmm. Um, was that it for direct payments? I think so, yeah. All right. So let's, number two was indirect payments, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> these uh, indirect payments capture... Uh, instances where a pharmaceutical company makes a payment to a third party which in turn uses that money to provide a service to an APPG and mm. we found that this this was was less um, valuable than the direct payments but more companies made them so 16 companies made 69 indirect payments to nine APPGs worth 350,000 pounds or 460 US dollars um all of the pharmaceutical industries indirect payments were in kind so they were funding a service so 
um, and the majority of these were secretariat functions, which is they're responsible for sort of like the day-to-day -day running of an APPG and leading on arranging meetings and trips abroad and things like that. And in our research and associated like blogs and commentary we've done since, we refer to this as infrastructural involvement. So providing funding at the infrastructural level, um, which we speculate is gives industry an opportunity to influence the way APPGs are run and the policy avenues they pursue and ultimately perhaps offering a more impactful way for industry to influence the or get into the APPG bloodstream kind of thing. Web of uh, influence. Exactly, yes. Um, so, for, so the third one, and I've, I've been more interested in this lately, um, I, I want to dive more into this patient organizations. Um, so could mm. you tell us, for those who may not know, what a patient organization is and what their mission is supposed to be first? Yeah, so patient organizations, and they're sometimes known as patient groups or patient advocacy groups and things like that, are third sector entities. They're often charities uh, made up of patients, carers, or a combination of the two. And they, their primary purpose is to support and advocate for people with specific conditions. But saying that, they do have often have a multiple purposes like focusing on a combination of activities like patient support, raising awareness, promoting the interests of patients and carers in policy settings. So their, their policy involvement is really widely cited as being on the rise. And that's why questions are now increasingly being raised about whether they should accept funding from pharmaceutical companies. But I think, as you say, that could be the topic of a whole nother debate and podcast in itself because that's a very interesting subject well you can come back uh, on emily so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um yeah looking at the patient organizations in relation to appgs we wanted to show a, or explore a different side of industry's web of influence by calculating how much patient organizations were providing to appgs which themselves had received industry funding not necessarily or well, not not for the, the purpose of anything to do with APBGs, but just separately. Um, so as a, um, in a previous study, one of our first studies, we collected data on payments to patient organisations from industry, and we found that they received over £57 million pounds or $73 million wow. uh, between 2012 and 2016, so not even that long. Um, but yeah, linking that back to the APPG research of that, almost 20 million went to 57 patient organisations, which themselves provided over £350,000 or $460,000 to APPGs. So, mm. um, so what I'll say is that these patient organisations, they're, they're heavily industry funded and they provide funding to APPGs. But can't really say this is wrong because we can't determine a link between the two but we're just trying to hint that there's potentially mm -hmm. potentially drug companies extensively fund patient organizations because in turn they're involved in a lot of policy policy planning policy decision making and things like funding appgs and being involved in appgs so the concern is really that industry funding may compromise patient organizations independence and integrity 
and lead to when they're involved in APPGs, leading them to speak with an industry voice or mm-hmm. echoing industry arguments rather than acting in the best interests of patients, which is what they're set up to do. But right. you know, can't really say that's what's happening, but there's that <laughs> risk. <laughs> there's, the, there's definitely a risk for bias um, or industry influencing these groups. I, I think for that's sure, yeah. absolutely fair to say. Um, so overall, did one type of APPG get more pharmaceutical funding than an, another related to health? So breaking this down into the, the different, the direct, indirect, and the patient organization payments, um, we found different things for each of these. So for the direct funding, two APPGs received what we like to call the lion's share of the funding, the APPG for health and the APPG for cancer. They combined, they received um, £667,000 or almost $900,000, which equates to over three quarters of the total direct funding from drug companies. So they were very much heavily funded compared to all the other APPGs, which was really quite striking. And then for the indirect funding, um, two APPGs received over half the funding again, but these were different These were the APPG for sickle cell and the APPG for thrombosis, which combined received over £200,000 or $260,000. And then finally, the patient organisations. It sort of echoed the the patterns in the direct payments because cancer stood out again. And the Macmillan Cancer Support Charity, which is a patient organisation, provided by far the highest total value of payments at £188,000 or $250,000. So um, cancer is clearly a big topic in terms of the APPGs and the the targeted funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's clear. Um, So you also looked at the outputs of the top five health-related APPGs receiving payment from industry. Can you tell us what you mean by outputs first and then tell us what you discovered? So by outputs, what we meant was in the context of our research and APPGs, it's the the content that these APPGs are publishing as a result of their ongoing work. Um, we, We looked at these to try and uncover a bit more information about the potential impact and influence of this industry funding. So we looked specifically at the the APPGs that received the most industry funding. And um, we went to the websites of these these groups and um, downloaded all of their reports and all of their publications available on their website. So for example, the APPG for Health had a report highlighting health policy priorities for Parliament and the APPG for Cancer had an inquiry, the results of an inquiry into the cancer strategy, which was aiming to improve patient survival rates. So they they cover a lot of, lot of topics and usually their reports or inquiries into specific issues, policy issues. Um, but this section of our research was more explorative than, um, than a big systematic uh, look at all the, the reports because we focused on the top five and we did find some interesting things that I think we will be pursuing further as a separate project. But drug companies were regularly named as contributors in APPG inquiries and 
many of these companies had also provided the APPG with a payment, which we thought suggests two things. Firstly, that providing funding might potentially buy drug companies a say in these policy inquiries, because a lot of them provided funding, but also that some didn't provide any funding. So perhaps drug companies are also involved in these APPG activities with um, in ways that don't need to be reported on the APPG register. So it's not necessarily that funding is everything. There are other ways to, to influence policy in ways that will never be reported or registered. So um, we also found a couple of instances where APPG reports declared that drug companies had funded the publication, but on the APPG register, this wasn't actually disclosed. So these could be two isolated instances, or they might be part of a broader transparency problem, which again, we, we will explore this further to hopefully uncover a bit more about Absolutely. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, the hidden avenues. Yeah. Uh, if anything, we need more transparency for to um, build trust, right? Yeah, definitely. That's really what it's about. Um, so obviously you had your initial hypotheses or hypothesis going into this. Were you surprised by any of the results? Um, in terms of what we expected versus what we found, I don't think there were any major surprises um, because we know from our previous research looking at payments to healthcare organizations and patient organizations that industry invests really quite extensively in, in these various institutions. So we did expect that this would be the case for APPGs. Um, but I suppose what was most striking was that um, for both the direct and indirect industry payments, the vast majority went to a very small handful of APPGs rather than an even spread across the board. So um, the APPG, as I mentioned, for cancer and for health, they stand out as particular case in points of this, which likely, mm -hmm speaks to the influence of these particular APPGs and perhaps they, they've got a proven track record at getting things done and you know undoubtedly industry knows these things and will be aware of and use these this information to inform their decisions as to where to target this funding from their marketing budgets to best best invest in mm -hmm. pursuing their interests you know because previous literature acknowledges that pharmaceutical companies used to do this sort of spray and pray with their money when making payments to healthcare professionals and institutions, but now their payments have definitely become a lot more strategic and are probably more likely informed by various um, levels of information and you know, there's so much more to it now. So More strategic, um, more data. For um, sure, yeah. Absolutely. No, that, no, that's an excellent point. I like that spray and pray. <laughs> Yeah, I read about that recently. Though. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard those. I'm, to, I'm totally going to use that. Um, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> um, so from a policy perspective, what do you hope your research helps accomplish in the future? Um, so I, what we hope our research and our previous research and our future research, you know, it all sort of ties together, but I think one of the key things is we want the, to see the transparency of industry involvement in this web of influence that spans APPGs, patient organisations, healthcare organisations, and so many more payment recipients. Um, like to see the transparency of these improve a lot. Because um, one thing I didn't mention was it's interesting to note that 
payments to APPGs aren't reported anywhere by pharmaceutical in the industry themselves. So they're not required to do so, which strikes me as a bit unusual because APPGs are such important stakeholders in healthcare policy making. So you think transparency in the industry would be a priority here. But so I think you would think a key thing. Yeah, you think you think the industry would have to disclose these payments, but they don't for some unusual reason. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and that's why we say, me and Piotr say that this is transparency in name only. So, you know, the, the APPG register says it's transparent and is providing information about these payments, but there's so little information about the, the payments. They're not very accessible. The format's confusing very little detail about what the payments mean and any potential impact. So I think transparency is often used by all of these institutions as like this buzzword that they're, mm -hmm. they're picking all these boxes. But in reality, what transparency has got to mean a lot more than it currently does, I think, and especially mm -hmm. in the context of the pharmaceutical industry, which impacts all of us. Mm -hmm. um, bu buzzwords are powerful. For sure, yeah. They, they really are. Um, just, <laughs> yeah, you have to dig beyond the buzzwords, people. Yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I like that. Um, it's interesting because uh, this year I wanted to, for this podcast, I wanted to focus on a few topics, and one of them was industry's influence in healthcare, public health policy, and uh, I wanted to do it on a global level as much as I could, so you're in the UK. Um, I had someone on from Australia recently, so, and then two other doctors from Canada, one doctor in the US. Yeah, I'm really trying to, um, because to me, you know, this, this web of influence, it is global, you know, and it's a problem. Um, I would say it's a problem, uh, you know, almost, almost everywhere. So, um, and I think just hearing the unique uh, perspective, like, you know, the different, just even, slight differences from country to country. I think um, it's really interesting for me and hopefully for my listeners too. But yeah, definitely for me as well, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. And um, I'm glad that, you know, you know, I'm glad I'm able to like hear from people like you because this is stuff that I otherwise would just not know, you know, um, yeah. just uh, in the US, we, you know, we have our other specific things going on, but this is really intriguing to me. Um, so thank you, Emily, you did a fantastic job and, uh, I'm sure my, my listeners are going to love it and probably have some follow-up questions. Um, now do you, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast that you are planning on doing other research related to this. Is that right? Yeah. Cause I'm doing my PhD, um, which I'm in my final year now. So I'm currently sort of scrambling to get, you know, get everything out. Um, submit publications and stuff from my research that I've been doing for the past few years um, but yeah it's all centered around this idea of <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry's connections in this broader web of influence so yeah the things that I'm I've got coming up in terms of the the research I'm doing in terms of APPGs what we're really hoping to look at is taking the research a bit deeper to look at the members of parliament and house of lords that sit on the APPG members lists and are potentially part of the pharmaceutical industry's web of influence because we're looking at we've looked at the APPGs themselves as as sort of a, an organization or institution but not mm. the the actual 
people who sit on the the boards of them sort of so mm. we're going to look at their the links that they might have and whether they sit on other relevant health care policy um settings and things like that so well, that'll um, be interesting yeah because it could it, I, speaking to this idea of web of influence and how it can it can really be quite vast and like you know yeah. just because they've got one link to that organization that might link to other things um it all links up in in different ways so that's one thing i don't know if i've really explained that very well no, but you, you, you did you absolutely <laughs> did i think um that that's clear to people um okay. this, could be, this could definitely be another avenue that you're gonna going to explore in the future yeah definitely and um and as i mentioned before also the reports and like the publications that appgs produce be interesting to look more um more in depth at those and the examples that we found of of um, organizations of pharmaceutical companies that were involved that weren't reported on the register it'd be interesting to see if this is actually like a, a widespread problem or if those are just isolated cases um, i've also recently submitted a paper to bmj open which looks at payments to patient organizations and healthcare organizations combined which um no one's done that before, um, combining them to sort of contextualize them both against each other. And um, the other unique thing about that paper is that it looks at, because the UK is broken down into four countries, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, but the UK is often considered as a whole, but um, yeah. England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland each have their own sort of um, policy making bodies and um, things like that. So we wanted to see if industry's payments are affected by by that and if they differ the targeting and the strategic targeting of the payments differs in each country which it did quite substantially so the implications at the sort of sub-national policy level could be quite mm. important um, and what I'm working on right now is looking um, more in depth at the pharmaceutical industry payments to patient organizations um, so we did look at those as part of a previous study looking at 2012 to 2016 but we're updating the data to make it a bit fresher as well as um, looking more closely at the payment descriptions um, because I'm really interested to see um, what sort of lobbying and influence activities uh, pharmaceutical industries are funding patient organizations to do um, I think um, that's not something that's really been explored much so I think that would be a, a really I'm currently, yeah. yeah, I'm currently um, coding the payments and um, which is, is quite interesting. Oh, Barnaby. <laughs> <laughs> He's been good. I'm like, you've been good. Don't start. <laughs> what book um, is it? He's a, he's a golden doodle. Oh. And like every podcast, like right before, it's so funny. It's so funny how you can condition a dog, like right before I, like I'll set up my microphone and I'll sit in my spot and Barnaby looks at me. He's like, it's time, isn't it? I'm like, it's time. <laughs> and he just sits here and he lays here through the entire oh. podcast. It's so funny. He just views it like a job. I'm like, all right. He's the chief everything officer of my website. So it makes sense. I'm like, oh, bless. Yes. that's adorable. I love that. <laughs> the CEO. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that's my operation here, but um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I digress. <laughs> I could talk about my dog forever. You have a dog too, though, right? What kind of dog do you have? Yes, he's a he's a cross between a Yorkshire Terrier and a Bichon. Um, oh. He's like a little teddy bear, really. He's yeah. very, very soft, very fluffy, very sweet, quite hyper. Um, What's his I name? Artie is his name. Art Artie. What's yes. Artie. Oh. Yeah. This is Barnaby. Um, Barnaby. Oh. Yes, Barnaby. Barnabas when he's bad, but. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Artie when he's bad is Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> um. I digress, uh, as, <laughs> as usual, as standard for my podcast, but um, this was really great, Emily. It was really informative, and I hope we can stay in touch, and uh, it, you mentioned you submitted a paper to the BMJ. Yeah. You're not sure if they're publishing it, or you're, you're waiting to hear back. Is that? Uh, yeah, it's currently um, out with the reviewers, so I think oh, okay. hopefully that's promising. Um, yeah. It's, um, so yeah, I'll let you know if it's- Yeah, uh, please do. Um, and come back on. Um, you I'd did love great, to, yeah. Yeah, you did a great job. Um, you. Your dog behaved, mine did for the most part. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was really interesting. So thank you for your time. Um, I have to run into another meeting now, but I really look forward to sharing this. And I'll probably follow up via email. Um, I ask everybody for just a photo. It can be any kind of photo just to use for the cover art. Cool. Um, could be a, it could be a photo of your dog if you want. Like it's cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he is very very cute. He's cuter than me. So. Oh no. <laughs> well, I mean, that's my dog is way cuter than me. So <laughs> when I walk him around New York City, I feel like um, I'm like the unpopular Siamese twin. I mean, and yesterday, <laughs> yesterday someone a woman just stopped and she's like, "Hi, Barnaby," and I'm looking at her and I'm like, "I don't know you." Like you know. <laughs> you know Barnaby <laughs> oh my gosh that is cute. yeah he has his own little social network apparently oh, <laughs> he has a web of influence um he does he does probably far uh, more innocuous than yeah. companies but yeah <laughs> he's although his his web of influence is like biased towards treats so yes. yeah, it's funny um yeah anyways. my dog's in that one too I think oh my gosh every <laughs> every like we make so many stops and I'll tell him like we're not going in there today and then he looks at me like oh yeah we are and I'm like God, <laughs> all right fine you know but whatever it is what it is um yeah. anyways <laughs> thanks again and yes my touch and yeah, um definitely. I'd love to read the other uh, studies and bring you back on to talk about those specific things too that would be great that'll be really lovely uh, I'll keep you informed and thank you so much for asking me to take part I really really love what you're doing thanks Emily anytime all right we will stay in touch and I'll email you soon. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining in for this episode of Causes or Cures. A special thank you to Emily for sharing her research with us and her expertise. And hopefully she'll come back on and discuss her new research, which is also related to this topic of industry's influence on health and health policy. If you haven't yet, Check out some of the older episodes of Causes or Cures. Quite a few of those have to do with this topic of industry's influence on health. But of course, there's other topics thrown in there. Um, we have a bunch of um, different episodes about a bunch of different things. <laughs> so maybe something in there will interest you. Hopefully. I think so. I think there's a good chance that something might interest you. If you haven't yet, I hope you subscribe to the podcast. Share it. Tell your friends. 
I appreciate all the word of mouth. It really helps um, get more listeners for the podcast. And also, it gets me more feedback in terms of what people want to hear about and, um, you know, the topics you want me to cover, the experts you want me to bring on. I love all that stuff. Um, I think you can also rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify. That helps to get the word out. If you want to reach me, you can do so through my website, bloomingwellness.com. I may not get a chance to respond to your message, but I read all of my messages. Um, And uh, yeah, you can also read my blog there. Check out some of the crazy books I've written. Uh, Connect to my social media places that way. All right. I, I think I've covered all of the promotional chatter. I'm sure I'm missing something in there, but you know this drill at the end of every podcast. <laughs> um, all right, guys, that's it from me. And I hope to see you here next time and bring a friend. Yeah. More promotional talk. Look at that right at the very end. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye for now.